Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. What is Rashi's attitude in his commentary on the Torah to Halacha? It is certainly true that someone who studies the entirety of Rashi's commentary will come away with a broad general knowledge of many facets of Jewish law. But is that because Rashi intended to provide that education by means of his commentary, or is it merely coincidental? This question is discussed by Rabbi Baruch Halevi Epstein in the introduction to his classic book, Torah Tamima, published in 1902. Harib Epstein writes that comparing the number of halachic explanations that Rashi quotes to the number of halachic explanations that can be easily found in the Talmud and Midrash is, in his words, like comparing a grain of sand to a great mountain. Rav Epstein gives us one example of this in the verses about Gittin, Jewish divorce, in Parshas Kiseitse. The topic of divorce is contained in the written Torah in just four verses, Dvarim chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. Yet, Rav Epstein found in Talmud and Midrash 80 halachic explanations, which contain all of the major details of Hilchah's Gittin. By contrast, points out Rav Epstein, Rashi does not quote even one of these drushes. The reason for this phenomenon is the same reason that can explain so much of Rashi's methodology in his Torah commentary. Rashi did not set out to present us with the halachas that can be derived from the Torah, nor did he set out to collect for us the many homiletical interpretations, drushes, that our sages taught. Rather, Rashi intended to explain the Torah according to the Pshuta Shalmikra, the simple and direct reading of the words of the Torah. Thus, when the simple meaning of the Torah is, in Rashi's opinion, to inform us of a halachic detail, Rashi will explain that. Otherwise, in his commentary on the Torah, Rashi leaves alone the vast detailed corpus of halacha for further consideration when studying the Talmud. Based on this, we, as students of Rashi, have a new obligation on our shoulders. When Rashi does mention halachic details, we must ask, where did Rashi see this law in the simple, straightforward meaning of the text? Because if the law is not implicit in the text, Rashi would not mention it. For an example of Rashi's approach to halacha in his commentary on the Torah, let us examine a pasuk in this week's parsha, Parshas Re'eh. In chapter Tesvav, chapter 16, the Torah gives us some of the laws of the Evid Ivri. And Evid Ivri is, as Rashi explains here, is a Jew who has stolen, he has committed the crime of theft, and he was unable to pay back. So as part of his restitution, he is sold by the court, by the Beisdin, to be a servant to another Jew for a period of six years. Let us see Pasuk Yudbeis. Ki ivri o When it will be sold to you, your brother, the Hebrew, or ha'ivri'o, or the 
female Hebrew. V'avodcha sheish shanim, and this person will serve you for six years. Uvashana hashaviyas, and in the seventh year, tishalchenu chavshi meimach. You will set him free from you. Pasuk Yud Gimel. When you will set him free, you shall not send him out empty-handed. Rather, you must bequeath or bestow upon him. You must bestow upon him gifts from your flock of sheep, from your goyrim, literally from your threshing floor, meaning from your grain, umiyikvecha, literally from your vats of wine, from your wine. Asher berachacha Hashem elokecha, from that which Hashem your God has blessed you, titain loy, you must give him. Now, let's take a look at the Rashi on Pasik Yudalit, Hanik Tanik. You must bestow upon him. Now, the Torah does not use the more common word of litain, titain. The Pasuk doesn't say give to him. It uses this unusual verb, lahanik. So Rashi explains, l'shain edi. This is an expression of an edi is an ornament. Begoiva, something that is high up upon the person's body. Uva marisa ayin, and it is in view of the eye, it is in easily viewed by others. It is something that it will be recognizable that you have bestowed upon him this favor, this this goodness. And some explain Some explain that the word lahanik refers to loading something onto the neck of the Evid, meaning to, so to speak, uh, put a necklace uh, around his around his neck. In either case, it does not merely mean to give, but it means to to give something that is recognizable, that is uh, has a certain importance. Now Rashi continues: You must give from your flocks, from your grain, and from your wine. So Rashi asks: Perhaps I might say that only these things must be given. Perhaps you can only give from sheep, from grain, or from wine. Talmud Leimar. So Rashi says, no, the Pasuk tells us, if you look at the end of the Pasuk, it says, Asher beirachacha, that which you, sh- you should give from that which Hashem has blessed you. Says Rashi, mikol mashe beirachacha beiracha, from all that your Creator has blessed you. So from all different kinds of things, you give Him. Now Rashi says, v'lama nemru elu, so why were these things mentioned? Why was uh, flocks and grain and wine mentioned, if really you can give from all different kinds of things. So, what is uh, particular about these three things? That they are bichlal bracha. They are in the category of blessing, meaning that they reproduce. They, from one item, you eventually get more and more items. From one sheep, you can get more sheep. From, uh, from uh, one uh, cluster of grapes, you can plant the seeds and get more grapes, and so on. 
So my elomi yuchadim shehem bichlal bracha. What is special about these types that they are uh, types that that have within them blessing and increase? Afkol shehu bichlal bracha. So anything which is in this category of bracha, yotsu frodois. So this excludes mules. Mules cannot reproduce. And therefore, uh, although, as Rashi explains in the Gemara, from which this statement comes, uh, one can give all kinds of things that grow from the ground, one can give from all different kinds of animals, but one may not give to the Evid Ivri a mule. Now, up till here, everything Rashi said was clearly based on the wording in the Pasuk. He explains the, the particular meaning of the verb hanek, that it means to bestow something that is clear and recognizable. He explains what it means that you give from your flocks and your grain and your wine that Hashem has blessed you with. He explains how that whole phrase fits together to tell you from which kinds of things one may give to the Eved Ivri. But now Rashi adds something. Our rabbis learned, they derived in the Talmud, Meseches Kedushin, Bigzera Shava, using a form of derivation called Gzera Shava, which we will discuss in a moment. How much one must give to the Evid Ivri from each and every type of item that one is giving. Now, before we ask any kashis on this Rashi, let's take a quick look at the Gemara. The Gemara is in Meseches Kedushin, Daf Yud Zayin, Ahmed Aleph. And the Gemara raises the question, Kama Manikin Loi, how much Ha'anaka, how much of this, how much of these gifts must one give to the Evid Ivri? And there is a three-way disagreement between Rabbi, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon about how much to give. Let's examine just the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, which is the halacha that we follow, at least according to the Rambam. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yehuda Omer Shleishem. Rabbi Yehuda says that one must give to the Eved Ivri a total of 30 sela worth of goods. One must give him the value of 30 uh, silver coins of various goods. Kishleshim shall evid. Just like the 30 sela uh, number that is uh, connected to the evid. Now, what does that mean? There are two types of servants or slaves in the Torah. One type is the evid ivri, the Jewish servant, which we have discussed a little bit. There is also something called an Evid Knani. An Evid Knani is a non-Jew who is who can be purchased by a Jew to be a slave. How this relates or does not relate to the American enslavement of Africans is not our topic now. We are we are studying Torah at the moment and we are uh, going to accept the Torah for what it says. The Torah says in Parshas Mishpatim that if a person has a shore muad, he has an ox 
which has been proven by previous experience to be a particularly dangerous and damaging type of animal because there has been testimony of three previous times that this ox has gored and said ox goes out and gores an Evid Knani. He kills a non-Jewish or partially Jewish slave. So the Pasuk says, Im Evid If this ox will gore an Evid or a female uh, Knani servant, so Kesef Shleishim Shkolim Yitain La Doinov. So the, the owner of the ox must pay a fee of 30 shekel to the master of the slave, etc. And Rashi comments there, no matter what the market value of that slave might be, whether it be very little or, or very much, whether it be a lot less than 30 shekel or a lot more than 30 shekel, this is a Xeris Akosov, this is a decree of the Torah, that when the ox kills an Evid Kanani, the owner of the ox must pay to the owner of the slave 30 shekel. Now, the Gemara here in Kedushin, according to Rabbi Yehuda, says that how much money must one give to the Evid Ivri upon setting him free? 30 shekel, similar to the 30 shekel that one must pay for the uh, death of an Evid Knani at the hands of one's ox. So the Gemara says, My time with Rabbi Yehuda. What's the reason of Rabbi Yehuda? Why are these two laws connected? Yalif Nesina Nesina. So the Gemara says, he learns out, he derives a Gzera Shava based on the two words Nesina. It says in our Pasek that one must give to the Evid Ivri certain gifts when he goes free. The Pasek says, Titein Loi, give to him. And it says in the Pasek about the ox that gored the Evid Kanani. It says, Shleshim Shkolim Yitain, 30 shekel the owner must give. So, Nesina, Nesina, giving, giving. You have the verb to give in both, both psukim. So, Mala Halon Shleshim, just like there in the Pasuk about the Evid Kanani who was killed by the ox, one must pay 30 shekel. Afkan Shleshim. So, here too, regarding the Evid Ivri that one must pay upon his departure, also, shleishim, the amount one must pay, is 30 shekel. Now, we will talk later about what kind of a derivation is this, what kind of logic is it simply to say, because here it says to give, and there it says give, so therefore the amount that one must give must be the same. That does not, on the face of it, sound to be very reasonable. We'll discuss that in Mirza Hashem later. But that's how the Gemara says that Rabbi Yehuda derives that when one uh, pays off, so to speak, the Evid Ivri, upon his departure from your service, you have to pay him 30 shekel. Now, Rashi hints at this Gemara, hints to this Gemara, he hints to this Halacha in his commentary on the Torah, will repeat Rashi's words, our rabbis learned or derived in 
Meseches Kedushin, the Gzera Shava, with this form of derivation called the Gzera Shava, based on the two similar words, how much one must give to the Eved Ivri from each type. Now, there are two main questions that we can raise on this Rashi comment here in Parshas Re'eh. First of all, this halacha about how much one must give to the Eved Ivri does not seem to be explicit in the Pasuk. Rashi himself, in fact, does not connect it to any particular words in the Pasuk. Although the Gemara relates it to the words titain loy, because it uses the verb titain to give, just like it uses in the Pasuk about the Evet Kanani, Rashi himself doesn't mention that word. So Rashi's comment here does not seem to connect to the Pshuta Shalmikra. So we must ask the question that we said in our introduction, a question that must always be asked when Rashi begins to discuss halachic details, and the question is, where did he see this in the Pasuk? And secondly, even if you'll contend that Rashi does like to provide halachic information, even if it perhaps is not so closely tied to the simple meaning of the Pasuk. But, in this case, he doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of it. He only hints that the rabbis discussed the question of how much to give to the Ever Ivri, but he does not actually tell us their conclusion. He, he sort of tells us, well, there's a Gemara about that, but he doesn't tell us what the Gemara says. So if his intent is to just provide us some useful information, he has done a very poor job thereof. I believe that the answer to these questions is as follows. In truth, Rashi is not really interested in telling us the specifics of the halachas, exactly how much to give to the Evid Kanani. As we pointed out, that even if one, one would say that he was interested in that, he didn't do a very good job. So that probably indicates to us that that was not actually his purpose. The reason that Rashi gets involved in this Gemara in Meseches Kedushin, at least to the point of mentioning it, is because of what he said about the definition of the phrase Hanek Tanik. Rashi, as we, let's repeat the Rashi. Rashi says, L'shoin Edi, the word lahanik refers to an ornament, some sort of an ornament that is high up on the body and easily visible to the eye. Something that it will be recognizable that you have bestowed goodness to this Evid Ivri. The word lahanik tanik, those words do not merely mean give something, but it, they mean give something visible and significant. Now, that in itself is a very undefined statement. That indicates that one must give some certain amount, and yet it leaves open the question just how much. And that could be why Rashi simply refers us to the Gemara in Kiddushan. And he says, Our rabbis derived by certain methods in Meseches Kiddushan, commonly saying, how much you have to give. Since the Torah itself 
opened up this question of how much to give by saying that you must give something that is significant and recognizable, that it's not enough just to uh, uh, slip him a slip him a quarter and, or, or just give him some very small thing. The Torah itself indicates that what one gives must be something that is recognizably significant. So therefore, since the Torah already opened up, already invited us to this topic and to this question of how much to give, so Rashi says you can find the answer in Meseches Kiddushin. But Rashi is adhering to his principle that he does not get involved in the great vast number of details of halachas that one can derive from a Pasuk by various means, as the Talmud all over it involves itself in, in those questions. But Rashi is adhering to his principle in his commentary on the Torah not to get involved in those questions unless the Torah itself, the text of the Torah itself, points to that direction. As I promised, we will now return to discuss a little bit this idea of Exera Shava. The Gemara says, according to Rabbi Yehuda, that one must pay to the Evid Ivri who is departing 30, uh, the value of 30 silver coins, similar to the 30 coins that, that one must pay if one's ox has killed an Evid Knani. And why are these two uh, topics in Halacha, why are these two mitzvahs connected? Because our Pesach regarding the Ebed Ivri says, Titein loy, you shall give to him. And the Pesach in Parshas Mishpatim about the ox that gored the Ebed Kanani says, Shloishim shkolem yitain, yitain, you shall, the owner of the ox shall give. So, Nesina, Nesina, the two verbs of giving are connected. And therefore, just like when an ox gores an Evid Ivri, an Evid Kanani, the owner must give 30 shekel, so too, when an Evid Ivri goes free, the owner must give to him 30 shekel. Now, this is, this is puzzling. This, this, this seems like just some sort of a game, this idea of the Gzeir Shava. Let us preface the following. It is well known in the name of the Chafetz Chaim, that certain advances in technology that are made in the world were put there by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to help us understand certain ideas in the Torah. For example, the Chafetz Chaim said that once upon a time, people understood, understood intuitively that although they don't see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they don't see God, God is not a physical being, but they understood that God can, so to speak, see them. And he can know what they are doing, and he can hear, so he can hear, quote-unquote, what they are saying. There was a time when people sensed that intuitively. As the generations continued, and as people's emuna, people's living belief in trust in the truths of the Torah, eroded somewhat. So Kaddish Baruch Hu came along, and he allowed mankind to invent the telegraph. 
The Chafetz Chaim says the the profound reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the wisdom to human beings to invent the telegraph was to give people a living example, a living proof that I can be in New York and someone else can be in Chicago and he can know, and he can, he can know what I'm thinking and saying because I sent him a message by telegraph. Later, it became necessary to make this even a more vibrant example, and Hashem gave to mankind the ability to invent the telephone so that my friend in Chicago can actually hear my voice that I am, that I am producing in New York, and so on and so forth. In our days, the most important invention in general has been the development of digital technology, of computers. One of the items that is very common in uh, computer technology, it's been around now for quite a while, is what's called the hyperlink. The hyperlink, as most people probably know, is when you were looking at a page, let's say, for example, on a website, and you're reading an article about uh, whatever the topic might be, and you will see there's a word that is underlined in, it's underlined with a blue line. Well, that means that you can click on that and it will connect you to some other page that tells you more about that word. If you are uh, reading an article about elephants and in the article it mentions that uh, Elephants uh, like to eat uh, bananas. I have no idea if that's true, by the way. But if it says that elephants like to eat bananas, you might find that the word bananas is underlined with that blue line. You click on it, and you'll come to a whole article about bananas. Or maybe specifically an article specifically about the elephant's preference for bananas. That's called a hyperlink. Now, the hyperlink is not magic. The person who wrote and prepared that website, that web page, put it there. The person who created that page for the computer underlined, so to speak, that word banana and linked it to some article that gives more information about bananas. That is really, in essence, what Xerah Shava is. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the Torah. He gave us the Torah Shebik Sav, and he gave us the Torah Shebaal Peh, the Oral Torah. One aspect of the Oral Torah is a sort of a hyperlink, that in certain places, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, underlined a certain word in one place and linked it to another word in the other place. For example, in our example, in the parsha of Eved Ivri, the word Titan Loi has, so to speak, been underlined with the blue line, and it has been linked by the giver of the Torah to another word of Nesina, another expression of giving, in another place in the Torah entirely, about a topic which is not exactly related, although it does uh, involve servants. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu linked it to another word of Nesina, 
which is used in the Parsha, in Parsha's Mishpatim, in the Torah's discussion of the laws of the Evid Knani. And Hashem is telling us to link these two words. Hashem, the creator, so to speak, of these two web pages, has told us that these two words are linked, that one gives more information, gives extra information about the other. As uh, Rashi explains in the Gemara in many places, no one, not even the greatest rabbi, can make up his own Gzereshava. Ein Adam Don Gzereshava may atzmai. A person may not make up his own Gzereshava. We cannot randomly go through the Torah and say, oh, look, here's the word, uh, the verb to eat. And here in another place is the verb to eat. They must have some halachic connection. We could connect the halachas. No. No one may do that on their own. A person can only make a Gzereshava that he has received from his teacher, who received it from his teacher, who received it from his teacher, going all the way back to Meishu Rabbeinu. And where did Meishu Rabbeinu get it from? He got it. It is part of the oral Torah that Meishu Rabbeinu received on Har Sinai. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Meishu Rabbeinu, these two words are linked. Not because Moshe Rabbeinu thought it logical, and not because uh, a disciple of a disciple of a disciple a thousand years later thought that it was logical. It's not necessarily logical in any recognizable form. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu that these two different parshias do have a certain commonality because... I'm telling you so. That's the idea of Xerah Shava. It's like a hyperlink that a Kaddish Baruch Hu was inserting into the Torah. Thank you for listening to Directions in Rashi with Yochanan Joseph, author of the book Directions in Rashi, available from Feldheim Publications. Production aspects were carried out by Minagain Music. Visit them online by going to facebook.com slash minagain be more.